Welcome to the Press Conference Mixtape, Cassette 1, where we bring you the pressing playlist nobody asked for. I'm your host, Dave, and I'm here with Phil. How's it going, man? Good, mate. How are you? Yeah, going good. So we've got a bit of a new concept, and it's the uh, the mixtape, and we have a guest. Yeah, pretty keen for this one. Yeah, me too. So we've got the mastermind behind our intro song, the singer-songwriter of the band Caution Thieves, vinyl connoisseur and our enabler, Nicholas <laughs> Simonson. How's it going, man? Oh, man, that's a nice and flattering intro. You just call me a nerd, man. Everyone just calls me a nerd. <laughs> yeah, we're nerds too, so it's okay. It's the best. We'll start off with the questions. Uh, so how did you get into music? Um, come from a really musical family. Uh, and I come from a small town in New Zealand and, uh, called Christchurch. But my family's from the West Coast, which is on the other side of... The, the South Island mm-hmm. and I have these like my first real musical memories um, are like road trips from Christchurch to Westport and the car and like listening to Billy Joel and then Bruce Springsteen and Neil Young and cool. all of that nice. and like that's on, and just like singing along with my family and that was the thing that just was the impetus for me to start loving music. Oh that's so cool. How good were those road trips? I don't know if you did many, Phil, but we did some up the east coast of um, up to the south coast of New South Wales, and yeah, the tunes along the way are the best. Yeah, we we used to go to um, to Yarrawonga like every Christmas and maybe every other holiday, um, and that's like we're talking about like bands like The Cure and you know even early like Blink and stuff like that. That's kind of where I got into all of that music. So yeah, best memories road trips. Ah, oh, sick. So, Nick, what was your first record that you purchased? That I myself purchased? Yep. It could be vinyl, it could be CD. It's up to you. I can't remember what the first CD that I bought was. It was probably something terrible. So, that's like, I'm going to just skip that. I'm a, I'm a, like, I w- I'm actually really glad that I completed the fifth and not know what that is. Uh, <laughs> however, the first record that I bought uh, in my vinyl collection uh, was Commit This to Memory by Motion City Soundtrack, which is a Whoa. banger. That's a very oh, good wow. first one. How long ago was that? When, when did you start collecting? Oh, I've been collecting, collecting for like over a decade now. So yeah, I nice. think that was Epitaph did like a, a, like a, it was like a white pressing and a clear pressing and a pink pressing. And I got the white one directly from Epitaph on Kings Road. And honestly, and like, it's, I, <laughs> I think we all joke about whenever someone is in like one of our vinyl groups and like, man, I just started collecting and we're all like, fuck, I'm so sorry. Yeah. I'm just like, so, so sorry. If I had known, yeah, if I had known what I was getting myself into, I think everyone starts with humble ideas of like, oh, just collect a couple of records and like, you know, my collection is sitting behind me just being like ominous and consuming my wallet. Well, I mean, you're very lucky that you picked that up back then because I picked up my copy last year and I can guarantee you it was probably a lot more expensive than yours. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was still in New Zealand. So, like, I think, it, I think, yeah, it would have been, what, 30-something bucks or whatever like that. Like, damn. That hurts. That hurts. Um, I, that's also one of those records where, like, I bought, I have a white copy and a black copy. I, I bought, like, a black copy of Resist Records years ago. And you know how records just kind of creep up in value where you're like, yeah. one day you're like, yep. oh, apparently this is really hard to get now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's Amazing my chasing record. ghost story. Oh, Except yeah, ten, dude. 10 years later, I was like, oh, what? 
someone messaged me on Discogs asking me if I'd pay if I'd take eight hundred dollars for it, and I was like, "Pardon me, <laughs> I had no idea." Yeah, I, I mean, I don't even know where to start with that one, Dave. Like, it's in, it's insane. That's so cool. I love Notion City soundtrack. I had a pink copy, but I traded it for Bronx Four. I. I'm I'm at that point in collecting now where I am like I have a couple copies of it. I don't need more, but they did those presses last year. I think they like the Newbury mm-hmm. did one, and there was a couple yeah. other colored ones. And I was very close to being like I could I could totally own five, if not six, copies of this record. <laughs> yeah, oh, I remember seeing them on they when they toured that, and they played with. I think it was the first time I saw Emery live as well, and they brought oh, them yeah. out, and it was crazy. It was really good. Great band, man. Like, like hyper intelligent music. I think, like, I love how verbose Justin is, and yeah. I mean, I, I, I with my playlist, like, I talk about records that I thought I understood in my teens that I actually understand a lot more in my like late twenties and early thirties. And I feel like anything Motion City soundtrack is like, I thought I understood it at the time. Like, oh, he's talking to me and I'm super emo. And now I'm like, <laughs> oh, no, I'm an adult and I really understand this. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think that's a good good point there because some of the songs that I know that uh, you put in the playlist, I was listening to them over the last week and a bit. And, you know, I listened to them back like in the day when I was younger, but listening to them now, it was like I had no idea you know, how big some of these songs were. And I kind of regret I wish I kind of had that knowledge of, okay, this is almost a masterpiece of a track. <laughs> and I kind of um, just missed it back then, I guess. I think the, and we'll get into it when we talk through the playlist, but like the most, for the most part, it's like songs that like I grew up with as not, not as far as like grew up in my formative years, but as I have gotten older, the songs have grown with me mm-hmm. yeah, and probably mean more to me now, even though they were so important to me back then. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Um, so, what was your the last record that you purchased? Ah, uh, I bought. Talking about records that I have like too many copies of, I bought a fifth <laughs> copy of Delas in the Comatorium by the Mars Volta. Mm-hmm. A fifth copy. Yeah. <laughs> Neither uh, my fa- one. <laughs> it's my favorite debut album of all time. Like it's it's amazing. But it's like that. Blood Moon by Converge arrived the other day. Oh, nice. Um, and something else arrived the other day that was really good. And I... Uh, the new Greyhaven record, which is really Greyhaven. good. Which is like, yeah, which is one of my favorite records of this year. So that's also topical. That's very good. Um. So I guess like talking about, you know, your road trips over in New Zealand, um, what was your first gig? Did you, did you go to many gigs over there? Like when, I still don't quite know when you moved to Australia, so I'm trying. Uh, to I've, been, I've been in Australia for like 10 years. Um, yeah, okay. Snow Patrol touring Final nice. Straw uh, and Muse touring Black Holes and Revelations. Oh, wow. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Um, my brother and his girlfriend and I went to see Muse and I remember the like curtain opened or whatever like that or the lights came up and I, I couldn't get my eyes off this clear acrylic grand piano that they had on stage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah. this is insane. And 
I had, you know, it's one thing to see the DVDs of like, I'd seen Hullabaloo and like the Absolution mm. DVD and stuff like that, but seeing them live and being, you know, when a show like, maybe it's because it's like one of my first shows, but like it hit me in such a like special way. Yeah, I that think, was a cool one. I think that's almost yeah. nearly every new show. <laughs> and they're making a resurgence in popularity. I see a lot of people talking about them at the moment. I don't know if they have new music coming or have they? Yeah, just there's been a there's a new out? record. Yeah, there's a, there's like they're one of those bands that I talked to our friend Pikey about it. Oh, because again, like we come from that same era where I love I love mm. those first four music records a lot. Um, like what Showbiz, Origin and Symmetry, Absolution, Black Holes, like really great four records. And then literally for me, it just goes yeah. and they completely <laughs> fall off. <laughs> But even like I remember every time a new music record would come out and I was at, I was either working in music media as a journalist or when I was working at Mixdown, um, it was always like a huge deal. There are they're like, regardless of my, how they fell off for me, there's such a huge band and, and I don't think that's ever going to change. Plus you can't really deny how talented they are. So yeah. Yeah. Matt Bellamy is an absolute crazy musician. Yeah. Freak of nature. Absolute freak of nature. I mean, he gets a pass forever for Absolution. Like, I could not like, you know, all of the recent albums, but he still gets a pass for that album especially. Well, I mean, I don't want to harp on too much about Muse, but I still say to this day, seeing Muse, I saw them on the the Resistance tour um, and they didn't play too many songs off that album, fortunately for me. Um, But that's still the best show I've ever seen. Like, the best show I've ever seen. Um, No, I've... yeah, and again, not in the spirit of harping on about it, but there was like the whole thing for when they were advertising the tour that I saw them on for Black Holes. Like the tagline was like the best live band in the world. Um, and that's not something you say lightly. And again, like anyone, any, like like you just said, anyone I know who has seen Muse has walked away being like, that was magnificent. Like I've never heard someone walk away from a Muse show and be like, yeah, they were okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they did all right <laughs> yeah gave it their best left it out there um so in theme with uh with that question uh what was the last gig you went to um Northland plenty sleep token at the forum oh, that was a great show i went to the, the one in sydney at the end more yeah, I saw both of those shows because I figured if I was only going to get half an hour of sleep token, I might as well do it twice. How good were they? <laughs> they could have headlined. I mean, I feel like they have to come back for a headliner now. I like yeah. I, I don't know what the Sydney one was like, but they sold out of merch. So they sold out of every piece of merch the first night that um, a friend of mine actually had to reprint merch for the second night, and I went and really? saw. My friend Luce, who was doing merch for them on the Sunday night, and uh, I bought a T-shirt, and the T-shirt was still warm, having been oh. printed that day. Wow, that's cool. That's crazy. So I feel like there's no question that Sleep Token were very popular on that tour. <laughs> when, when I got into the Edmore, there was this big, there were big lines, and the merch was kind of separate. North Lane was on one side, and all the supports were on the other. And I thought, okay, there was a big line for merch. They must have, you know heaps of stuff but it was all for sleep token and there wasn't many mm. options but there were just so many people um wanting to buy stuff and it's just i mean, I mean granted at the same time you had an besides sleep token you had an all australian bill so i feel like it is very obtainable for yeah. 
yeah, people in Australia to get merch for those other artists, whereas there was probably a sense of urgency for people to buy Sleep Token merch because A, it was their first time here, and B, like they're an international band. So, mm. you know, we might as well grab out what we can. Yeah, you don't want to be paying UK dollars postage for oh, a T-shirt man. when you yeah. get it in Melbourne. Yeah, I mean, also I, as a as a side note to that, I feel sorry for anyone who bought that crazy awesome pressing of the last record from the UK store and paid like a hundred and something dollars for it. That was, uh, that was me. That was a lot of people. That was me. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a lot of people. It wasn't me, but that's that's okay. I'll gloat about that. Yeah, people still looking for that. Again, it was one of those ones that was so available for so long. I think. Everyone yeah. was waiting for it to come down in price and then it just didn't and then it was gone. Yeah. Um, I think I paid like 80 something bucks for it, which I was like, oh, it's a cool pre. It's like such a good pressing. So I'm, yeah. I'm down. Yeah. That was the best looking press of last year, most likely, I think. I think so. I, I definitely don't think enough. This is like a weird critique, but I don't think enough people are doing like a uh a side disc like a disc one is one color and a disc two is a diff- is another color and so having like the a and b side be the blue with white and then the c and d side be the clear with black was really cool like yeah, i think I like that it. that's quite cool yeah um, good contrast just, just makes it a little bit more special yeah. yeah my copy of uh heavy pendulum is that is the blue ah uh, blue cloudy and the and the red cloudy and um yeah they look oh, that's awesome a good record Good, very good. Okay, so um, the next question is we want to hear a unique purchasing story. Um, so, like something you may have gotten um, on a whim or something that you like stumbled across in a store one day or something like that. And do I have like it couldn't be a more poignant story because you ended up with one of these copies, David? Thank you. I think I know this um, story. <laughs> Yeah, so I I was in LA a couple of years ago. Um, I had just been having breakfast with my partner at the time and my buddy Isaac Bolivar, um, for those who don't know, plays in like Happy Buddy Slow Brain, was in a band called NK, is like the sweetest human being in the entire world. Uh, Isaac and his wife live in Echo Park and my partner and I were like, let's go for a wander after breakfast. And we wandered past this store called Vacation Vinyl um and i went in there i was like oh it's a record store damn twist my arm i better go and take a look (laughs) and i'm in there and i find like like what uh an original pressing of the poacher diaries by converge and rising uh rising falls the circle is this yeah circle is is vicious which is an amazing record but i found a crate full of old hydra head records and i just was like could not believe what was going on these records that if you look on discogs are hundreds and hundreds of dollars um and i found not one not two not three not four but five copies of antenna by caven uh and four of them were sealed and that's like such a revered hard to find record um and so i turned around to the dude behind the counter and i was like hey man like you want to maybe fill me in on how the fuck you have this shit? Um, And he was like, it's Aaron Turner's record store, dude. And Aaron Turner is like from ISIS and Hydrahead and Old Man Gloom. And it was just his shop. Um, Oh, that's so cool. So I managed to get 
I bought two copies of Antenna, a copy of Jupiter, a copy of Until Your Heart Stops, uh, that Rise and Fall record. I didn't buy the crazy expensive uh, Poetry Diaries Converge record, although I was tempted, um, and a few other things, and then like forced myself to tap out because I could have dropped like $700 in that <laughs> shop. <laughs> um and yeah and and again for those playing at home like antenna is never going to get repressed uh rca just don't want to let people repress it um so dave needed a copy to complete his converge his caving collection and i sold him one of my spare copies so i'm very thankful for that it is just behind just behind me there and it's it's not going anywhere and if i do need to get rid of it it's going back to you. So I was going to say it's coming my way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's like of all of the stories, I thought that was quite poignant. I have, I mean, again, when you've been collecting for a decade plus, you kind of just kind of accumulate cool stories like that. But that one in particular was like a very cool one. Yeah. That, that's going to oh, be yeah. one of the craziest stories I've ever heard. <laughs> like, oh, you, just, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, that wouldn't happen today. I don't think. It's probably one of the only times in my life I wish I could like, time travel back give myself like two thousand dollars and be like treat yourself <laughs> yeah um because man like some of that shit i could i would have just bought the fuck out of it that's wild get into it um and i guess as dave mentioned earlier it's a new concept that we're doing um the mixtape where you know we have a guest on and um you've put together a playlist for us nick and we'll talk through some of the music on there um I guess before we get into it, do you want to kind of explain mm-hmm. how you approach the playlist and, and your thought process behind it? Kind of broke it down to a um, nice, like a my musical history. Um, yeah, I, I I spend a lot of time uh, either with students or you know with, with interviews in the past. Um, I love talking about initial emotional response to music and I really, much like we talked about with the road tripping thing before, um, there's something really special about when you find a record that you like fixate on or, you know, really get connected to. And then every time you listen to that record, like I can still imagine, I can still listen to Bruce Springsteen and picture being in the car on the way to Westport and I can still listen to like... Yeah. worship and tribute by glass Joy and and like picturing like high school and picturing like the excitement of those things and so kind of broke it down to that stuff for the most part which is kind of like songs that have really like stuck with me as i've gotten older and um if anything the connection's just kind of grown more and more yeah i love that i'm keen to go through this list because a lot of these songs like i knew of um but there was a few that i'd mm-hmm. never really listened to before before this so I'm keen to, like, firstly, thank you for putting them together. I'm keen to go through it. I do, for sure. Um, Yeah. (laughs) High Fidelity is, like, my second favorite movie of all time. Like, I I love that movie. And there's a scene (laughs) in High Fidelity where John Cusack, like, literally talks to the camera, like, breaks the fourth wall about um, making the perfect mixtape. And like, you know, like, it, it, you know, it can't be off or high. It can't be all ho. You've got to like, you've got to balance it out and everything like that. And I tried to do that with my, like, I think intrinsically at the back of my mind, whenever I'm making a playlist, I'm picturing myself, like I'm, well, I'm picturing John Cusack sitting on the floor of his apartment in high fidelity, like schooling people on how to make a mixtape. 
while he's brushing records. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Re- constantly reorganizing his collection. Autobiographical. Yeah. yeah no, nah, <laughs> nah, that's not how we do it, bros. Can I just say, like, music is the only thing that does that for, for anyone, I think, is where you can listen to a track and it'll take you back, good, bad, or indifferent, and you just... it. With the snap of a of a, a guitar string, you could be back in year ten, living your best or worst nightmare. I refer to it in teaching as like music is the universal language, and mm-hmm. what I mean by that is um, it has an emotional like answer for everything that you're feeling. So you're happy, you're sad, you're vulnerable, you're angry, you're energetic. It's just like music has the answer for you. And so when you think about countries that English isn't the primary language, but then these artists will go and tour like in these countries and like people who don't even speak English will fix it. They like that. It moves them in these incredible ways. So it kind of makes you realize that it is, there isn't really any barrier. It is this like universal language for people. That's so cool. All right. So let's start with the first track. So we have, um, (laughs) Mew Empire by Glassjaw. <laughs> yeah, because rare by me to start a podcast, uh, like a playlist with Glassjaw. Um, I mean, I figured it just makes sense. They're my favorite band of all time. And Worshipping Tribute turned 20 last year. And it's been my favorite record for a really, really long time. Um, it's It's just one of those, like... It caught me at the right time. If anything, like it's st- it's mm-hmm. one of those records that stopped me from going down the new metal route in a big way. Um, appealed to the right musical sensibilities at the right time, like being a guitarist. So I think like when I first heard that record, I would have been playing guitar for like maybe five or six years. Okay. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just like, even now, I, I, I'll go for a run and listen to Wishman Tribute and it still like revs me up. It just like, it has everything. It's energetic and abrasive and frenetic. But then like the choruses are so catchy and then you've got the kind of avant-garde jazzy and funky stuff that's in there. Um, when you think about the fact that it came out in 2002 and you think about what was popular at the time in 2002, yeah. It's a pretty brave record, really, when you've got like Limp Biscuit and Corn and all that dominating the airwaves and Glassjaw are like, we're going to do this weird kind of avant-garde, post-hardcore, you know, odd record. And yeah, it's just one of the, like anyone who knows Glassjaw, it's like one of those records where like, <laughs> I've never met someone who listens to Glassjaw who doesn't just absolutely think that that record's the Bible. Yeah, I was saying to Phil today how um, everything you want to know about silence hasn't aged all that well and this was like their big maturity step forward, uh, especially for Daryl lyric-wise and like... Yeah, I mean, mean, silence is one of those records where it's for its time is a really, like, again, it's a brave record. It's really vulnerable. It takes a lot Mm -hmm. to be vulnerable like that. Um, Oh, yeah, 100%. And it's, I mean, yeah, it's still... Awesome. What I think that I find with Worship and Tribute is, and I read this interview that Justin Beck did the other day with Spin, <laughs> where it's them entering their I don't give a fuck phase. 
Like, mm-hmm. I just don't give a fuck. Yeah. Um, and so they the, no no musical boundaries. There's no one sitting in the room being like, that's not Glassjaw. They're just doing their thing. Yeah. Um, and so it's just one of those things like it's unbridled creativity and, and it just works. I'll, I'll, I'll probably get cancelled for this, but I actually had never listened to Glassjaw fully until this song. Um, I know David put the record on my radar maybe a few months ago. Um, and, I, and I listened to it back then. I don't think I gave it proper listening time where I sat down and listened to the album. Um, I did do that after listening to the song because it, it's aged really well. And like you said, if, if you ask a Glassjaw fan what is you know the best record, I, I can see that. Um, and I think this is a good choice for, for the first song on the playlist. It's funny. It's not even my favorite Glassjaw song. Not even my favorite Glassjaw song really? on that record. Um, nah, my favorite Glassjaw song is Stations of the New Cross from Coloring Book. And my favorite song on the album is uh, Cavalcade, the Cavalcade, Gillette Cavalcade of Sports. Mm-hmm. Um, but in tune with trying to keep this playlist down to an hour, I chose not long songs. I tried to avoid, there's a whole section that could have been like, 12 minute dream theater <laughs> opieth and porcupine tree songs but i did you guys a favor and pulled yeah. that back <laughs> thank you i thought it, i was looking for some long ones i mean like shorter songs means you can put more in but yeah to to speak to what you're saying phil it's like i i know a lot of people who got into glass drill because of the cosmopolitan blood loss uh mm. music video and yeah it just again it's a right time right place and yeah, it, it just one of those ones where it's grabbed so so many of my friends just like adore this record. I feel like I probably haven't helped that situation by just being like spending the last however many years of my life being like, it's the greatest record of all time, guys. It just is. They're the best band ever. Listen to me. <laughs> Pretty much. Like it's I don't I don't allow for any like, you know, caution on that. It's just like no. It's the greatest yeah. <laughs> record of all time. Thanks for coming. Thumbs up. I love it. Well, let's um, let's load it up.
She 
All right, what a banger. So Absolute the next, banger. The next song uh, we've got on the list here, Nick, is Born to Run by Bruce, Spring- Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. I think if, uh, if there's any song that is solely responsible for my life as a musician, uh, it is Born to Run. Um, my dad's favorite record of all time. You know, I spent so many like countless hours of my childhood like singing along to this record with my dad and then there's the iconic album cover for it where it's like bruce springsteen like with the telecaster slung over his shoulder just looking like a bad motherfucker um and yeah it's just one of those records that again i i have these cherished memories around and yeah there's this like it's just it's triumphant um, that, uh, the end of it where, um, the big sing along in the last chorus is like yeah. such a triumphant moment. Yeah. And just can't go wrong. It's just such a good feel good uplifting song. And then you add the sax yeah. at the end. I think it's sax at the end. It's so good. I'm, I'm just all about sax in, in rock songs at the moment. I don't know why, but it's so well. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, you you're not wrong. There's also that thing where, like, um, the way that Springsteen's like lyrics speak to you. Um, and again, I didn't really like get it until I I got a little bit older. But there's that line: "The highways jammed with broken heroes and a last chance power drive." And like when that when that comes in, it's like this ultimate triumphant moment of just like. Ah, oh, it's a fist pumping energy moment. It's um, it's definitely a clap. But yeah, sex is the yeah. sex is the move. Like ab- sex is absolutely the move. I, it just gets me excited for summer too. Like I just want to it not to be cold. Um, and like yeah. you said, go on a road trip or something and just play it loud because it's it's perfect for that. Ugh. and it, and I think the big one for me, like I'm 32, my dad is 76, yeah. and so for like it speaks to the intergenerational stuff much like we're talking about the mm-hmm. universal language we're like mm-hmm. that record that record still like means so much to me now as a 32 year old and you know when it came out i wasn't even an idea <laughs> i wasn't even a concept of a human being at the time yeah that's so a good point. so i like you know and we see it with bands that kind of have been doing it for 20 30 years where like people start to bring their kids to the shows or like passing down the records and stuff and so it's it's probably one of the reasons why bruce springsteen is still doing stadiums around the world is that like i'm gonna take my kids and they're gonna take their kids and he's still gonna his songs are still gonna speak to everyone beautiful Okay, so tell us a little bit about Bitter by Shehard. All right. Proud Kiwi. <laughs> Proud Kiwi who could not include Shehard on the playlist. Um, I went to the Kaipo High School, which is a Kaipo is a town in North Canterbury, about 25 minutes north of Christchurch. And the Kaipo High School music room had posters for Shehard's records, the uh, the General Electric and Killjoy, and I it's like imprinted in my mind, like I can see the shitty discs at Kaifu High School, and like to my right, I can see these like faded posters of Shehard records. Um, 
and Bitter Bitter's just my favorite She Hard song. It's just a fucking banger. Um, but most importantly, being a young kid in New Zealand who had an interest in like heavier slash alternative music and having a band like She Hard made that feel like it was obtainable yeah. to do it. Yeah. Um you could, you know, like New Zealand is a small country, so it was really empowering to have a band that is like New Zealand's premier rock band that were big in Australia and like tr- they, at the time they were trying to go for America and stuff like that. And it like it made it feel like the the musician dream was actually a little bit more viable. Like it's like, oh, hey, maybe I could do this rather than it feeling like a pipe dream that was never going to happen. Um, also just a really important band to me, uh, Tom Larkin, the drummer, uh, was a really huge mentor for me and a really important part of my life. Um, I never would have ended up running uh, Mixdown Magazine for a number of years if it wasn't mm-hmm. for Tom. Um, I owe that guy everything. And he has taught me so much and been a really wonderful guiding light. And yeah, so band will always be like a cherished one for me. Um and Chris from my band, who's also from New Zealand, uh, we got real drunk and had like a happy cry watching She Hard at their 30th anniversary show at 170 well, Russell. So there you go. That's so good. <laughs> They're the best though, those those anniversary shows and you've got all your mates that have got years and years of experience with with a with an act and you just like bask in it. It's uh there's nothing better. Yeah, and like again it makes you realize how much a band is like meant to you when you have those moments as well like i love she hard and and have loved them for a really long time but being able to like see them just like it just really hits the point home that like they're such an important band to me i um i actually cool. like i i knew they were new zealand but it wasn't until I, I looked up a bit about about them again um it just kind of reminded me of it i guess i mean growing up in australia obviously very different I couldn't name too many New Zealand bears off the top of my head. Um, yeah, where would they kind? Of, where would they kind of sit compared to an Aussie band? I guess, respective of the two countries, like I'm biased <laughs> because I I naturally I naturally compare them to my like so. Oh, I guess yeah, it would be for me like a band say Silverchair. Okay. And as far as like the reverence, the way that we like look at their, you know, really important, like classic records are a really important mm. turning point for like, like, like when I think about Silver Cheers discography, it was a big turning point for Australian rock music. Yeah. Uh, when I think about Fish Album, Killjoy, General Electric, uh, Not the Pacifier record um, and Love is the New Hate huge like impactful turning points for new zealand rock music um i remember i remember i'm old enough to remember the like outrage when they were like oh we're changing our name from (laughs) shihad to pacifier i remember the fucking i remember the news pieces that were like band turns their back on new zealand and stuff and then i remember when they came back uh, from America, changed their name back to Shihad and released a record called Love is the New Hate. And it was like this big, like, yeah, we got our band back. Thanks, guys. 
It could have been hate is the new love after they changed their name. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, wrong. Yeah, 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 guys, we're like softening, softening the the approach. It's pretty crazy. Like I read all about that story over the last week, and it's just, um, yeah, it's a bit of a roller coaster. It was a it big was. deal, man. Like it was a real. Imagine if Silverchair like changed their name to Freak Show. You're like, but, but, but yeah, but why? Like, <laughs> yeah. They pretty much changed their name to Daniel Johns anyway, so it's technically yeah. the same thing. <laughs> band gets a band gets a pass forever for Neon Ballroom and Diorama. Diorama is my second favorite Australian record. It's amazing. What's your first? Mullet off. Sound oh, Awake by Carnival good. with the bullet. <laughs> with the bullet. How did you know that? How did you know uh, that? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like. Uh, my my buddy Cameron and I basically like I don't think a week goes past where I don't text him. I'm like, bro, like, sound awake? And he's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Carnival could not release another record, and I'd still forever give them a pass because of sound awake. I will say, talking about good shows, they they always put on a good show every time I've seen them. Yes, that's another band where like I've never had someone walk away from a Carnival show and be like, yeah, that was okay. Yeah. Um, it's a lean. Ian is a legend. Absolutely. Oh no, no! Everyone in that band is a legend. Shout out to Mark Hosking for being a sweetheart. Shout out to Steve Judd for being the best drummer in this country. Nice. Um, and they've got new oh, stuff also, I'm excited for that. I'm excited for that. Oh yeah, and that like you know that that all it takes song was enough to keep me like going. You know, I was like, you guys could just release like a song every twelve months, and I'd be yeah. down. Like. As long as the tour yeah. comes with it every time as well. I'd be happy with that. Absolutely. Uh, so the last song that we just listened to there was Warning by Incubus, which is now finally an area that I start to know some of these songs a bit more now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like, this definitely, I know that I'm a couple of years older than you, Phil, so that, like, makes sense. Um, this is, like, this... So, Morning View, you said before about... Um, you know, Springsteen makes you want to it to be summer. Morning View is like the ultimate summer record for me. Yep, for some reason, I just associate this feeling of like warm New Zealand summer with it. Um, and it's kind of super important for a whole heap of different reasons. Um, I don't think you could avoid Incubus at this point in their career. I think being like, the musically inclined teenager that I was like, you couldn't turn on music television without seeing the video for like, wish you were here. Nice to know you. Are you in warning? You couldn't turn on like rock radio in New Zealand without hearing like one of 25 (laughs) different Incubus songs. Um, But it's like the dream. The, the way that they made that album is like the dream. And they, you know, make yourself with such a successful record that they got an advance to go and buy a house in Malibu and they moved into a house for, you know, like a year in Malibu. Um, brought Brendan O'Brien and, and like made the record. So just like they got up every day, went for a surf and made music. And and it turned into this record that is just untouchable. And it just has everything going for it. Like I was so, I spent, I probably could, probably could still play every song on that really? album on guitar. Um, just from muscle memory. Oh. Yeah. From spending spending like you know months learning those songs, and then Brandon Boyd was probably 
I would say Brandon Boy was my, my first actual like vocal influence or vocal inspiration that made me made me want to like sing. And only from the perspective that I spent countless months walking around Kaipu High School with my discman singing the fuck out of these songs. Yeah. They're they're so singable, aren't they? And um I'm with you as well. Um this came out I can't remember what year, but it was like summer. You just it, it was just on. Like it was on all the time. Saw them a couple of times. Saw them at Festival Hall one year. I think they were touring like light grenades or something like that. But they just played like a best of set and they just went off and they were just awesome. And I remember there was that really special um they came back from hiatus or whatever like that. They did if not now we in and then they went on hiatus for a while and they came back to do that trustful EP and they did Soundwave and I remember seeing them in Melbourne and it was like 3.30 in the afternoon, the sun was out and they like, and it was just one of those like moments where I was like, oh, this band just rules so much. I think I saw them that day too. It was a very yeah. special one. I think um, when, when you said it snaps up, it summarizes summer, I think you're right with that. I mean, even I was quite young when it came out and you know, um, my uncle and auntie were a big influence on my music and they were always probably the more hip ones in the family that were into more alternative stuff. And I remember when this album came out and I'd spent all my time with them, like on school holidays and things like that. It's just ingrained in my mind, this album in particular. Um, yeah, it's so good. I mean, there's that, I'm trying to find it. There's that lyric in Wish We Hear. It's like, the ocean looks like a thousand diamonds strewn across a blue blanket. And like, that's so good. That's such a great <laughs> fucking line. And and yeah, and it just it's just got. I have this wonderful associated memory to like summer road trips with yeah. that record. And and again, just it just doesn't get old. I watched that they did like a twentieth anniversary live stream of it last year, where they went back to the Malibu house and did the live stream from in the same house twenty years later. Oh, wow! Yeah, and it was. It was awesome. It was the bass names. I think it's aged very well. I think a lot of their music's aged pretty well, to be honest. Like, I can't think of an album they've got that I don't think is not great today still. No, I mean, yeah, I'm with you. I think that um, it just, yeah, anything from Science Onwards is just great. I can't really, like, Pikey and I talk about it all the time. Like, in the same vein that I text Cameron to talk about <laughs> Carnival, I text Pikey and I'm like, Bro, Ancubus, he's like, my man, I know. <laughs> so there's no love for Fungus Among Us, is there? It's it's a little bit too, like, culturally appropriation, like, rap rock for me. Um, yeah. I don't, yeah, like, I don't know. Like, it's, it's just one of those ones where because I got into them, you know, like, Make Yourself Morning View onwards, I, I was, like, when you've experienced the best of a band, you don't really want to go back to the other stuff. No, I, I get that. Relate. So uh, we'll talk about the first song in the next bracket, and that's um, Jimmy Eight World's Polaris. I was at a regional school, like a high school choir competition in Christchurch City the day it was a Friday the day that Futures came out and I literally 
ran on our lunch break like the four or five blocks to get to real groovy to buy futures to make it back so we could like i could get my clothes on to do this choir competition um again in the same vein with incubus you couldn't really avoid jimmy world at this point the middle was like one of the biggest songs on rock radio um plus you've got like songs like sweetness and bleed american itself and i remember pain pain was the first song i heard from this record and then mm-hmm. work i remember the music video for work was really cool because they were playing on this hill under a tree that had all these like light bulbs hanging from it but um it was all these kids talking about that they hope that life gets better after high school um and being like a super you know quiet introverted nerdy kid at high school i remember being like oh it's me (laughs) (laughs) Um, and and yeah one of those records that i wrote this in a piece that i I did a retrospective piece for kill stereo um shout out alex evers um about like 15 years of um futures and yeah I thought that Jim Atkins was trying to talk to 14-year-old me and knew exactly how, like, 14-year-old me felt when, in fact, like, getting to 29-year-old me and being like, no, Jim Atkins knows exactly how I feel right now. Like, Jim Atkins was talking to 29-year-old me far more than he was 14-year-old me. Um, And Polaris is just, like... I mean, almost every song on that record, like, hits you in the heartstrings. But Polaris is one of those ones that, like gets me every time the vocal delivery in particular um just yeah it's just one of those great ones that i feel like as i've gotten older i've connected to that record and that band more and more i'm completely with you on that so like yeah same as same as incubus but the opposite thing happened with jimmy eight world it actually put me off the band to all together because you just hear them everywhere and it kind of just it kind of put me offside a little bit so it took me a little while to get back in but that um that four record run clarity bleed american big casino and futures is future no futures then chase this light you mean chase this light sorry chase this light um is an epic run epic four album run one of the best yeah I i mean and and dude, and that, that happens. With, I've I've had that happen with me. I remember friends. Well, I remember when Sunbather by Deaf Heaven came out. I remember like five or six different friends messaging me, being like, "Dude, you need to listen to this record. This record is so up your alley musically. You will love it." And I still didn't listen to it for like six months. I was like, "Fuck you! Like, don't tell me what to listen to." <laughs> so there's a lot to be said about when when you do get kind of hit in the face with something like or you get kind of oversaturated with it you don't really want to like i don't really want to go and listen to this so i don't want to dive in um i think the biggest one for me was again being you know i've been playing guitar for years so i was naturally you know gravitated towards guitar driven music and that era of music in particular when i think about incubus and jimmy Eat world and stuff like that like rock radio was rock radio and like mm-hmm. you seeing music videos on the tv was like a lot of guitar driven big rock music um so that was when my kind of like i remember learning the riff for bleed american because i was like this riff is so sick um yeah. 
so yeah so I, but at the same time yeah i don't blame anyone for i i mean to this day i know people who know the middle and don't know any other like any other jimmy world songs despite yeah. having like an arguably perfect discography i was one of those people that not i, I listened to clarity i listened to bleed american i don't know what happened in 2004 when this album came out but I, I didn't never listen to it and then i listened to chase the light after and everything afterwards i just never went back to this album and i remember dave you picked up a copy last year and yeah. um i still didn't listen to it even though i put it, i saved it to my library i'm like i gotta listen to this album um so i'm glad you gave me a reason to listen to it nick because it, it, you everything you said sums it up I flew to I flew back from New Zealand and I, I was in New Zealand when they played the album in full uh, for the 10 year. Um, so I missed the Melbourne show, flew directly to Sydney from uh, Christchurch to go and see the Sydney show. Cried like six different times. Um, and yeah, it was, I'm a, I'm a highly emotional guy. Um, but yeah, like, because I'd seen Jimmy Award a number of times before and they'd never, you know, like, all of the song, much, as much as I love the singles, like the big hits, all of like, quite literally, if I was to list my top 10 Jimmy World songs, I'm pretty sure none of them would be singles. Like songs like Polaris, songs like Just Watch the Fireworks from Clarity, songs like Dizzy from Chase This Light. Dizzy's like, oh, um, Dizzy's a great song. So getting to see them play futures in full and getting them to play the songs that like the deep cuts that I, I I've never seen them play before uh, was really powerful. Like getting to see them play Polaris and night drive and kill. Uh, and like anytime a band want, like they want to play 23 and just like make me <laughs> ball my fucking eyes out for eight minutes. Um, so yeah, so that's, I think that's really cool that the trend of bands doing anniversary shows where they get to play it in full um, because when you look at a band like, and I, again, the point in examples is Jimmy World and Incubus. How how are these bands that have been doing it for twenty something years gonna you know, gonna compile like an hour long set list that somehow manages to reflect their greatest hits whilst also appeasing the fan favorites thing? Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like when you've got you songs like yeah, when you've got songs like The Middle and um big casino is another huge hit and stuff like that and they're still releasing huge tracks like how are you going to do the big hits and then do some deep cuts just to make everyone happy so getting to see them play the album in full was really cool i do love album tours like that where it's anniversary and they play the full full thing like something special about it you just don't get it from a normal set so i, I get that the only downside and this is like this is really controversial um is when a band does it in a that, that when they do an album play but not in the track oh, listing because the album's really front loaded. Um, I went and saw Story of the Year do Page Avenue in full. That record is super front loaded. It's a cool record, yeah. like it's a really good record, but the all of the hits are like the front the end of the record. Songs, yeah. yeah, so they're like, hey, so we're not gonna do it oh. in order because you'll leave everyone will just leave so they literally like <laughs> messed up the track listing so they could close with like anthem of our dying day until the day i die in the shadows um yeah they're like we're just gonna do this because we need to be able to close with the hits guys trophy eyes did that at unify for um oh my god i completely just forgot the name uh, chemical miracle <laughs> and chemical um, miracle i was the set started and i was ready for it to hit off with with chlorine and it didn't happen 
Um, and it was a really odd night oh. because I was waiting for the next song. I had no idea what they were going to play. <laughs> but and maybe it's also because I love yeah. the album. I love the way that an album is presented as like a body of work. I don't listen to Same. stuff on shuffle. I listen to albums. Um, so I romanticize that. So it's whenever I hear a playlist, that's even putting this playlist together and listening to it, getting to the end of Mew Empire by Glassjaw and it not going into Cosmo is the weirdest <laughs> feeling in the world for me because I'm so used to listening to that record and have like, that's the next song. Um, so yeah, if, you, if we're going to play an album in full, like do it, do it how it was originally intended to be presented, you know? Yeah. Your fans will hang around whether they should anyway. So yeah, that's it. I mean, I don't think you're going to lose people like midway. Th- like, Oh, I've seen all the songs I came here to watch. Like, um, yeah, so I think that that's kind of like the right way to do it. We're going to spin that song now and we'll be back in a few.
That was a bracket. It was good tracks. Yeah. So the first song yeah. after Polaris was uh, Rose of Sharon by Killswitch Engage. Man, this this is like, again, being like a medical kid in the uh, early 2000s, you know, mid 2000s. I think everyone's got this moment. Everyone that I talk to has this moment. Like, where were you when you heard Howard Jones era Killswitch Engage? Um, I remember that Juice TV, which is like the New Zealand uh, music video channel, had like a metal section on like a Wednesday night that was 8 to 10. And I remember there was like a video for Duality by Slipknot or something like that. And then after it went straight into Rosa Sharon. And I was so angry because it didn't play, didn't have the title of or the oh. band on it. Yep. And I was like, oh my God, this is, <laughs> how is this so aggressive? But this dude's voice is like amazing. And like, and like this little clean section before the huge chorus, like what the hell? Um, and I was very fortunate that I went to school the next day and was talking to a bandmate of mine, like about the song that I had, blah, 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 blah. And he had literally bought the CD like three weeks beforehand. And he was like, do you want to take it home and burn it? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, I want to. <laughs> Why didn't you tell me uh, sooner? <laughs> yeah. I uh, also, I did go and buy the, the CD. So don't <laughs> hate me for burning CDs. Um, and man, like right time, right place. Just, I had already again been listening to, I hadn't stepped fully into like metal space yet. I was listening to a lot of, uh dream theater and porcupine tree and you know again just lots of like progressive inclination stuff and because i was a you know 14 15 year old guitarist who just wanted to shred um so yeah and then it was they're they're such a gateway band because it's like there's so much uh, on the middle side of things and the riffs are insane and like they have that wonderful proclivity to do like four to the floor stomp riffs that just rule but howard's choruses are just like the end of heartache as a whole has like every important no i won't say that the end of heartache and as i did as daylight dies has like every important medical medical chorus and i'm only saying as daylight dies because my curse is like one of the biggest choruses ever yeah um but yeah it's like Everyone knows where they were the day they heard Howard Jones era Kelsochinko. Oh, seriously, I, I'm, with that, I'm not joking. I wrote, um, I love this album when I was younger, and it was the gateway album into heavier music. <laughs> so, uh, so good. yeah, dude, it's like this this band, like if if Lincoln Park was like lighting the match to get people towards heavier music with big choruses, they threw then like. Yeah, yeah, that's it. It's like <laughs> Kilstrin Gage is the bonfire motherfucker. Like yeah. um and and but not only that, that was where my obsession with like Roadrunner Records came from. Yeah. Because Roadrunner had signed Glassjaw and Fear Factory and Machine Head and Trivium and Slipknot. And it was just this wonderful melting pot of these incredibly massive metal bands and so it was like the peak of roadrunner having that thing where it's like if you like a then you might like b and c as well and um i don't know if you guys know this but roadrunner also curated the soundtracks for like freddy versus jason and Mm. 
the first two Resident Evil films. Um, and yeah, I remember hearing like My Plague by Slipknot in Resident Evil and uh, The End of Heartache is in the second Resident Evil film. And so in the same way that Tony Hawk's Pro Skater exposed a hoi for people to like punk music and rock music, um, you know, there was, there was like movies and soundtracks and the Headbangers Balls like compilation discs that were exposing to people to that era of metal. I've actually just been going through a Resident Evil binge and um, yeah, the music in those early movies were unreal. It's a shame the movies aren't Apparently that great. The new show is pretty good. Lance Riddick for the win. That yeah. guy can do no wrong. Um, that guy has like, you know, he has the voice. He's just, I don't know, like if you guys have watched The Wire or Bosch or he's even like one of the dudes in Horizon Zero Dawn, yeah. the game. Like he's mm-hmm. the, the the antagonist. Um, and he just has the voice that talks like this. Like he's amazing. So the next track in... in... So, such no, a tangent. No, it's good, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> um, the next track that we, we listened to just there was... Um, from a, a ripper album mind you it was uh, crossing the frame by coheed and cambria this is a deep cut it's a mad deep cut um again i was listening to heaps of progressive uh rock music and i remember oh, i think a guitar world issue came out that had an interview with with claudio and travis i remember seeing claudio's here and I remember seeing Claudio playing like a white explorer, a Gibson Explorer. And I was like, I'm going to pay attention to this band. I also remember reading the album title for <laughs> <laughs> I'm Burning Star 4 from Fear Through the Eyes of Madness. And I was like, this band's not fucking round. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and yeah, and so uh, as much as it's like, you know, easy to throw a song like Welcome Home or um, even go back to the album beforehand and go like in keeping secrets or a favor house atlantic um it felt poignant to i I love crossing the frame it's such a a cool little deep cut that's kind of got this cool energy it's like it it kind of bops along really well um and they're one of those bands that just like keep winning they keep just producing these incredible records they're like last record came out like two weeks ago three weeks ago and it just shows that that band still just rips, but it was a really exciting time when Good Apollo 1 came out. And um, the album cover, not the the Roman numerals cover, but the actual album cover with the, I don't even know how to describe it, but it's like sick. It's like this highly high concept um, piece of art that just is epic. But yeah, great, great band, super important band, still one of my favorite bands. I can remember when I first heard <clears throat> of Coheed and Cambria. It was like year 10 photography class. And one of my friends, she dropped a CD on my on my, on my my desk and it was a burnt CD copy of it. And I'm like, what's this? And she's like, it's a band called Coheed and Cambria. And the album title is In Keeping Secrets of Silent Earth, number three. And I was like, yeah. get out of here. Like, that is not... That is ridiculous. And then I put it on and I was just like, people make music like this? And it was like, yeah, it was insane. And then it just rolled in to one and to the, to the next. And then um, I fell off a little bit, 
but going back now, it's kind of daunting because of the size of their the size of their catalogue. But that latest album is quite quite good. So they've still got it. It's definitely hard. It's hard when you've got such a brevity of releases and you've got someone who was like, I've heard of this band and I have friends who listen to this band, but I don't know where to start. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's completely fair. Like that's like, it'd be like trying to tell someone to get into Radiohead now and be like, just have fun, like figure it out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I guess the thing that's like cool is that it's like the one thing I like about the Spotify generation um, is a lot of big artists have their like essentials mm. playlist, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. So you can kind of like wet your whistle on that stuff. I think the thing for Coheed for like for me is that I had so many friends who were already on the middle path, heard Coheed and they were like, he sounds like a girl pass. And I was like, this is sick. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, and fun little fact. Um, I bought my copy of second stage turbine blade on vinyl at resist records um, on tour, like years and years and years ago oh, man. Um, for like, yeah, 30, 35 bucks of that. Um, and Man, I'm so glad that I did because it, it, w- it was the one record that I needed to finish my like discography at the time. Um, and yeah, all those, man, all those early Coheed records are so hard to get so now. Hard. So after that was uh, Poison the Well, Apathy is a Cold Body. Did I say that correctly? Apathy yeah. is a Cold Body. Yeah. Um. I read an interview with Keith Buckley from Every Time I Die a number of years ago talking about, like, reflecting on You Come Before You. Um, He was, like, at the time, you know, 2002, our bands, like, uh, there was a whole heap of things happening in America and everyone was kind of playing off each other and, you know, like, reacting to everyone else's records. And he said, I remember when You Came Before You came out and he was, like, man, I'm so glad someone has started to take risks or I'm so glad that someone has decided to get weird. Um, You Come Before You is one of those records that I definitely, like, definitely didn't get it the first time. Uh, I definitely got, like, parts of it, but, like, the slide guitar stuff and some of the wacky things that are on that record, I didn't get. Um, And then the more I kind of, like, listened to it, the more I kind of got the depth of it um but the big one for me the big aspect of it for me is jeff's lyric writing um super vulnerable he was like the lyricist that told me that it was okay to be sad about your girlfriend breaking up with you Mm -hmm. um and yeah but like writing it in really poignant ways and just it's it's aged so well it turns 20 next year um they, if I remember correctly, like Magnus from Cult of Luna um, assisted on this record. They did it at Tontechnik cool. in Sweden. Um, I think they did it at the same studio that refused to, the Shape of Punk really? to come. Um, and I, well, I, re, I remember uh, an interview with Ryan Premack where he was like, we've done the big American sounding record thing. We wanted to go and do something a bit dangerous. So they were like, we're going to go to Europe and do like a record in Sweden. And so you come before you and versions are both done in Europe. 
and yeah, they've just aged super well and much in the same vein as Glassjaw. It's like people who know Poison the Well, like love Poison the Well. It's one of those things that like, it's a, it's a club full of people who like live and breathe the band. It's certainly of an era type thing. I think there's like flush in the flush in the pan fandom in the newer age of music. I think where like I talk about bands that I love, and they're from 2000 to 2005 is when I discovered them, and it's just like Poison the Well were in there. I didn't actually click with them straight off the bat, and it took me some time, and I think mm. I was probably just. I don't know, maybe not in the right headspace or not mature enough to to get it, but I get it now. And um, yeah, they're so good. I think it's one of those things as well where coming from that specific specific era, um, it felt like you'd like unlocked this thing. Like it felt like you had unlocked this magic treasure box that like that you finally got the thing. Like you were here, you were in the club. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I remember buying the first two Boys in the World records, so Opposite of December and Tear from the Red, um, after buying You Come Before You. And I remember like looking at the artwork and being like, "This is so cool! Like, I feel like, feel like I get this thing now. Like, I, I'm like, yeah." And it's, it is really cool to. I miss that era of where discovering a band was like crack. Like it was this thing where like, and I still get it. But mostly I get it these days from like new records from bands I've been listening to since those formative years. Whereas in those formative years, hearing bands like Poison the Well or Thrice or At the Drive-In or Thursday for the first time was like you'd unlocked this thing, like you'd pulled away the curtain and discovered this like haven of amazing music. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing about that time well, for me, is is like it was a big risk going to a shop and buying a record that you might have read in a liner oh, note or yeah, something like too. that. So you're like, here's all my pocket money, sir. Please hope it's a good one. And then you kind of force yourself to listen to a, like an average record because you spent your money on it when you could have grabbed the one next to it and that could have been an absolute banger. Dude, I mean like so real groovy was the one shop in like the one cd shop in christchurch that parallel imported like brought in us and and uk import stuff i remember buying and keeping secrets by coheed for like 45 dollars on Whoa, cd yeah. um <laughs> but I, I remember yeah i remember buying you come before you because i liked the cover i remember yeah. buying relationship of command by at the drive-in because i liked the cover um and yeah, you're like, and but the the to to uh, parallel with that, if you didn't get a seat, like if you didn't get a record straight away, you were like, but I just spent like thirty bucks on it, so like obviously I just need to keep going. <laughs> mm-hmm. And there were records that like these days, if something didn't catch me the first time, you know, on Spotify, you're like, I'll just go to my safe haven or go to whatever I always listen to. Whereas like. I remember not getting you come before you being like, this is weird. This is really, what have I done? Yep. And it's like, it's like a top five desert Island record for me now. Like it has been for a really long time. So there's a lot to be said about the fact that I bought that record for 30, 35 bucks. Didn't get it immediately, but I was like, but no, but like, I feel like I will get this. Like I have to get this (laughs) and just kind of kept going. 
I will say that's such a good Poison the Well are a band that I've just gotten into this year. And um, I think I'm almost the opposite where I was into probably more poppy emo stuff through those early years. And now I'm kind of, I went heavier, but I missed a lot of these bands. Um, and I've really only listened to those first two records. Um, and I, I love them. I listen to them on repeat at the moment. Haven't ventured into the third because I know it is a bit of a step away. But this song today, uh, I really enjoyed. So yeah it's definitely like there's oh there's like there's a couple of different songs that i could have chosen from that record um ghost chant the album opener is like excellent from a band of iris is a great song uh this song on the uh the end of the record called pleasant bullet which is awesome um but apathy is a cold body is like one of those songs that um well so i saw poison the well in la in 2020 just before the world ended um and they played opposite of december and fall which was super important like super cool and that was really fun to see yeah but they but they played this song they played like a set of like Mm. fan favorites before they played opposite of december and i have a video on my phone of like the entire crowd singing the bit that's like stick to the side roads and um and like I'm screaming at the top of my lungs. I'm with like one of my best friends, Cameron. Um, in front of me is the the legend uh, Ray Harkin from Taken. Um, and just like it, it's just one of those again when a song becomes bigger than just a song. It's like it's a moment. It's a it's a impactful thing. Um, so yeah, and I remember sitting backstage with um my friend eric and proto who's in like night versus and the fever um before he was in the fever he was actually filling in for let live many years ago on a deftone store wow i remember like drunkenly connecting with him uh on apathy is a cold body and being like that's like the line like that's the line that like he's like i'm a kid from california and that line just like sung to me um (laughs) So maybe that's the thing is that there's heaps of great songs on that record, but that song is yeah. like the one. Love Beautiful. That. So the first song of the uh, the next bracket is um, Bloody Cape by the Deftones. Do you want to tell us about the Deftones? Because admittedly, I'm not sure about you, Phil, but Deftones have slipped well and truly past me. And they're like, as we were talking about with like Coheed, it's just scary. Where do you start? start? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like my brother Ryan is three years older than me and naturally having an older brother that informed a lot of my musical tastes. Like Ryan mm-hmm. would hear about something and he'd buy a CD and I would buy Osmosis, just kind of like learn about it. Um, so that was my introduction to Deftones was, was Ryan listening to um yeah like white pony and and buying self-titled when self-titled came out um and like the like i don't even know where to start with deftones they're such an unfuckwithable band (laughs) they're one of those bands that transcends genre you know that they're not a rock band they're not a metal band they're not like a new metal band they're not a progressive band they're just deftones like they're one of those bands that is universally appreciated by people who enjoy heavy music. You know what I mean? Like I know people who 
who are like, I don't listen to, I don't like metal, but I love Deftones. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, and Bloody Cape is my favorite Deftones song. It hits you like a brick to the face. Um, and and self-titled is one of those records where I know that we love, everyone loves White Pony. White Pony is a great record. Around the Fur is a great record. Um, sorry. Shut up. <laughs> um, but self-titled is this wonderful blend of it has them like some of their most delicate songs but then some of their most like raw and chaotic songs um and bloody cape is just this wonderful thing where like the refrain at the end of it where everything kind of drops down before the last breakdown just literally pummels you in the face um and it's like Deftones somehow managed to do this incredibly simple approach to songwriting. Like the songwriting is quite simple. Um, the riffs are quite simple, but it just like smashes dudes. Like, um, so yeah. And they're a band that like, you kind of have to see live to really, really start to get it. Um, mm. But yeah, I guess the thing is like, I'd give anyone like that trio that around the fur white pony self-titled trio and be like, there's a lot for you to digest here. Um, and if you like this, then there's a lot more for you to kind of like wish or whistle on. But these are the ones that like, I feel like universally everyone loves. Mm -hmm. Another record from 2003. It's a good time, man. Like 2003 yeah. through 2008. Yeah. I only say 2008 because Controller by Misery Signals came out in 2008. <laughs> Otherwise, it'd be like 2003 to 2006 and that window would be even smaller. <laughs> well, let's put it on and uh, yeah, we'll see in a few. Get smashed in the face.
So that was uh, Bloody Cape by the Deftones. And after that, we heard The Earth Will Shake by Thrice. Which is huge, massive track. Not can't like, besides Glassjaw, Thrice is like my favorite <laughs> band. Like, it's like Glassjaw is like here and Thrice are like, like, they're like, three millimeters below glass drawer like um again just a record that came out at the like the right time and and you know it's it's one of those ones where when visu came out in particular ah, i was what 16 like Around 16, uh, my my tastes were shifting. I was looking for something that was a little bit more, had a little bit more depth to it, was a little bit darker. Um, and I remember 
I remember the video for Image of the Invisible and I remember like it being quite theatrical and conceptualized and stuff. And I was like, this is really cool. And and much like You Come Before You, I, I didn't really get the record. I bought the record. I liked the cover. I got the gatefold mm-hmm. CD version that had the kind of tan cover and had the liner notes. And having the liner notes was very important. Um, and... Yeah, songs that like, I immediately was drawn to Earth Will Shake or For Miles uh, of Dust and Nations. Those songs are like really good. But as I, the more I listened to it, the more I started to appreciate the nuance of songs like Atlantic or Red Sky. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, like I was just saying, like I felt like I had un- unraveled this like uh, magic box of music and... I guess the the big thing for me with Thrice is that when you look at Visu onwards, so with like the first three records, Identity Crisis, uh, Illusion of Safety, Ars and the Ambulance, you kind of know what you're getting. You're getting, kind of yeah. getting that like fast Southern Californian punk rock thing. And then Visu is like, fuck you. We're tuning our guitars down heaps. I'm going to learn how to play keyboards and we're going to go and do it with Steve Osborne and do like a really dark kind of thematic record. But what that record onwards taught me was to really go into records with open minds. Uh, and again, if I, if I didn't get something on first listen, it didn't mean I wasn't going to get it at some point. So when I look at the records that followed, you know, the Alchemy Index EPs, Beggars, major minor you know before they went on hiatus um they're all quite different records um and don't necessarily move in the ways that you'd expect them to so thrice was a huge band in breaking down my walls of like expectations because then it was like after i remember getting into the Alchemy Index and really enjoying like the Fire EP and the Air EP, but not getting the the Water and Earth ones so much. But as I, the more I listened to them, I like uncovered those ones and really kind of like learned to appreciate them and really enjoy them. Um, so Thrice was like a huge band for also like showing it from a musician's perspective, being like, we get to decide what our band sounds like. So we can pull from all these different influences and and like styles and they're still going to sound like thrice because it's us. So I kind of approach the same thing with Thieves where like Thieves has a pretty wide dynamic range, especially with the album that we're working on at the moment. It's like pretty wide, like dynamically, but it still just sounds like Thieves. Like it's, there's nothing on the record that's going to, like people are going to be like, that's such like, we're not going to throw like a hip hop song or whatever like that on there. It's, um, but Thrice was a band that taught me it was okay to take like musical risks. That is like, Visu is just so, so good. And like, as you said, Thrice are, are that mixed bag band where you can be like, I just want to, I want to chill. I just want to go nuts and, I heard a really interesting story from Brian McTurnan who um, produced The Illusion of Safety. And artist, I think. And artist. But he got the demos for Illusion of Safety and it was a full-blown metalcore record. Yeah. And he he called them up or sent them an email back or something and was like, 
I don't think I can do this, guys. This is just like a metal metal record. I don't think I can do it. And they're like, we want you to do it. And he turned it into that, which is like at that time, where just before Visu came out, Thrice were number two for me. Then it kind of wavered a little bit. I, I didn't get all the hate that it got because it still had those previous elements to what they had. But it was like... a a step in a direction that people weren't ready for, as you said. Um, but yeah, listening to, to it back now and appreciating the rest of the catalog, it's just, it was like a perfect time for them to pivot. I think. Well, I got to interview them years ago. Um, and they came out for palms and I got to interview them. So this is like what, 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, and the interview was great, but I remember talking to them about that shift because I had I got to talk to them afterwards about kind of, you know, you guys broke down a whole heap of barriers for me and that was really important. And they were like, if we had made, the label really wanted them to make like Ars in the Ambulance Part 2. Yep. Um, and they were like, if we had done that, there's no way we would be sitting in this room as thrice, you know, being ready to play music all these years later. Um, so... In the same vein with like, yeah, Poison the Well. Like if Poison the Well had made Tear from the Red Part 2, they probably wouldn't be anywhere near as revered as they are now. And we're starting to see that with bands like Kill Switch Engage, where everyone celebrates Alive Just Breathing, End of Heartache, As Daylight Dies, because they were huge formative records. But whether we like it or not, Kill Switch Engage has kind of made the same record like five times now. Um, yeah. So Thrice, you know, taking a risk then set up their their like cult status moving forward in the same way that, again, we look at You Come Before You almost 20 years later um, and people are like, yeah, Poison the Well is still like the shit. Um, so, yeah, and, and I guess the thing about what you said, Dave, is like I'm in a chill mood or I'm in a raucous mood or I want to do this, like Thrice has an answer for that stuff. What I find is like I am always excited when a new Thrice record gets announced because I don't know exactly where they're going to go. You know, there's always, even with with Horizons East, like there is stuff on there that I was like, ooh, that's like spicy. Like that's yeah. new. Um, but it also makes me go back to their discography. Not that I'm not always listening to their music anyway, but like I always kind of go in the lead up to a new record, I always kind of listen to the discography and it really makes me realize that like, it's such an important band for so many people and everyone's kind of got a different endpoint for thrice. Um, Visu was just one of those ones that got me at exactly the right time and like opened up my musical inclinations in a big way. That's a perfect way to put it. That's the, it's the only thrice album I had actually listened to until their one last year. And I think at the time, like that year, what, 2005, it came out, I was listening to a lot of, you know, The Used, My Chem, all that kind of stuff, right? Um, like really heavy on MySpace and everything. Um, and, and like you said, you know, you felt like it was a darker al- album. I felt it was too mature for me at the time, I guess. And I, I really enjoyed it, but it took me a long time to kind of get. And then I, I never listened to anything afterwards, um, ever. And I think it kind of intimidated me a bit, but I know Dave loves them. I need to go back, listen to them, but 
Do it. Man, yeah, it's it, it much like the Kohi thing. It's an intimidating 100%. one to like how do you how do you how do you broach? And that's that's the other thing about Thrice is like I wouldn't know where to as much as I love Visu and I think it's a perfect record, it's probably not a healthy endpoint for someone trying to get into the band. It would almost be you'd almost be better to hand someone like the post hiatus records like to be mm-hmm. everywhere or palms or even horizons east because it's like this is where this band is at now and they're still making incredibly good music maybe start with these and work backwards because the new ones are like really interesting but they're really palatable whereas i find that beggars or visu or the alchemy eps would be quite like a jarring way to introduce yeah. someone to thrice. And then I wouldn't give someone artist because I'm like, <laughs> Hey, here's this one record that sounds like this. Like, yeah. here's the one, re- like I know people who like only listen to artists and it's like yeah. painful. Yeah. Even though it's awesome. And that's probably my best sounding record vinyl that I own. I think that's the, it sounds the best out of all. Is that the, the shop radio cast one from a couple years ago? The first press, the white one. Oh, the white one. Ah. Yeah, the old cover. Yeah, sick. I have um, uh, SRC did one and uh, a couple of years ago, and then I think can't remember what the label was called, but uh, I think it was like Obscure Alternatives or something. Did like a yeah. repressive artist in Visu, and I got those as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like artists is a sick record. Like it really is. It's just not indicative of, you know, the majority of their discography. Yeah. You could probably pick 2B Everywhere and then listen to that, pick the type of songs that you like off that and then go back and like cherry pick the albums from there. That's it. You could very much get what I was saying before about Roadrunner Records. Like if you like this song, here's a playlist of thrice songs that speak to that or to this or to that. Because there is enough like his super energetic thrice or who's his super delicate ballady thrice, um, and yeah, but I think that the new that the newer records uh, would probably be a healthy way to start. So I guess um, after that, I'll let Dave. I'll yeah, let you introduce. You this, is, this is your band too. <laughs> it's the big one. It well, is a big anyway. one. No, it's a big one. Alexis on fire to a friend. I battled with which Alexis on fire song to include <laughs> on this. I bet like, I like the inner turmoil that I had trying because old crows is my favorite. The Alexis on fire record. Um, Midnight regulations is, is like one of my favorite Alexis songs, but I have a really like visceral memory of sitting in my friend Adrian's car um, on the way to band practice, listening to this record and singing along to this song. Mm. And um, anyone who has heard my band, it's very abundantly clear that I'm just doing my best on a daily basis to sound like Dallas Green. Um, yeah, I mean, it just it's kind of self-explanatory. This record just came about and changed my life. Um, Again, much like you, what you were saying, Phil, um, it came around the right time and I was like, oh, this is quite mature. Yeah. Like this isn't, it, it was a, a new approach to 
the you know the like the good guy bad guy vocal 100%. thing that that dynamic mm-hmm. of like i'm the screamer yeah. and i'm the singer um but having three of them i remember hearing boiled frogs and hearing like this is george's part and this is dow's part and this is wade's part and i was like this mm. is cool like i'm into this um and it just crisis just has this like wonderful energy to it as a record um I think you could tell how hungry the band were. Um, they've got that almost like talking over each other energy because they're like, "It's this is George and this is Dallas and this is Wayne. Blah, 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 blah. Like, um, and yeah, man, it's just such a, they're one of those bands that, I mean, I, yeah, it, I, I, I don't even I know how to begin. I love the balance on, the, on this album. And in this song as well, I think it's a great song to pick from it because I think it just it just sums up the album so well. Yeah, it, it definitely like I definitely went round in circles being like, do I do this? Do I do this? Like I was I, I even went back and I was like, do I put like no transitory from Watch Out on it? Um, mm. But again, just one of those bands that much like it's kind of a common denominator with this playlist in general is a lot of bands that came around at really like formative times for me that probably mean more to me now as like an adult in my thirties. Um, and yeah, man, just incredible performances and Dallas green. Just, I said, I said this, this is funny. Um, they released the, the singles for like a, a couple of singles for the new record. And like, I was into the first one, like Sweet Dreams. I was into that and it was cool. And they released uh, Reverse the Curse, mm. which the the chorus for Reverse the Curse sounds like a crisis chorus to me. I remember listening to it when I was out for a run and I, I texted my band and I was like, I'm pretty sure Dallas Green power singing an Alexis on Fire chorus is like the cure <laughs> for cancer. There's a couple of moments on that new record that I'm like, you make me feel all right in the world. <laughs> So I've been trying to get Phil to to listen to the new record and I'll say To a Friend is my favourite Alexis on Fire song. Yeah, man. I will say yeah. the only reason I haven't listened to the new album is because I'm waiting for my vinyl to come in. I want to experience I want to experience it. Oh, that's I romantic. Know. I waited this long. I can yeah. wait, you know, hopefully a few more weeks. I said this recently uh, to you, Dave, but like... I was excited about that record. I knew it was going to be good regardless. I didn't think it would include like what I believe is some of the best music they've ever written. There's that one, like I I remember the day it came out and I listened to it on the train and there's that bit in um, Survivor's Guilt, the bridge was like, give me all the glory. And I was like, oh, it's like, that's fucking, that's the shit. And I, I literally had a moment where I listened to that song. Like I stopped listening to the rest of the record and just listened to that song like six times just for that one moment. Um, And that Sans Soleil song is just beautiful. Um, And again, it's one of those things where like you think, you think a band is like relating to you in your teens, man, how good is it when a band relates to you in your (laughs) thirties? It's so good. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, Hitting, hitting really swiftly towards my midlife crisis. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I'm excited to listen to it so I'm almost beyond I didn't listen to it when it did come out because now there has been so much hype and all these comments so a lot to live up to but that's okay um, no it's a great I'm, record 
He's great. And I was just so excited. I I said to you, Phil, I was like, I'm going to wait until I get my vinyl. And then three hours later, I was like... I was going to say, you didn't it. even last the day, dude. <laughs> yeah. You text me. Yeah. I was like, I can't do it anymore. I can't hold out any longer. I just... Oh, I just man. Yeah. was so excited. I still just really enjoy the ritual of like an album yeah. coming out on release day and really carving out time. It's part of the reason that I like running is because it, it's like I'm not distracted by anything else and I can really enjoy just listening to music. Mm. Um, so I think Coheed and Alexis both came out on the same day. They did, yeah. yeah so I did. think I did like a two and a half hour run because I did like both <laughs> albums back to back. Um, but yeah, I really, I just, it's really nice to. I, I talk about it being like a musical comfort blanket when a band that you've loved for a really long time releases a new record. You're like, it's like, oh, it wraps me up and makes me feel warm. It's so good. I'm keen to um, talk about it. the last song from that last bracket. I think personally, when I saw this on the list, I, I was so stoked. I think it's one of the best opening tracks of all time um, in regards to myself by Under Oath. I literally have... Uh, a line from this song tattooed on my forearm as a mantra like um amazing yeah um first tattoo i ever got was uh it's all worth reaching for on my forearm um nice. Nice. this one oh man like again i remember buying it the day it came out, I remember listening to their only chasing safety. And again, like much like what we were saying about with artist to Visu with thrice, I remember like listening to their only chasing safety and then listening to, uh, define the great line and being like, watch the fuck. Like what, 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 whoa. Um, why? My question was why, why did you do this to me? I remember, I remember being like, there's no repeating choruses. Like, w- w- there's no repeating, like, why don't you bring this chorus back around? Blah, 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 blah. And, and being like, this is so dark. And it, it hits you so hard. And Spencer's vocal delivery is like, the urgency in his vocals are just insane. And Aaron Gillespie's like vocals are amazing. But his drums, like the intensity of his drums... Um, and I remember it was like, it was just the dream team. It was like Under Oath with Adam D from Killswitch producing and Chris Ladage was mixing it. And, um, and man, just, I thought the album title was cool. I thought the mm. artwork was cool. I remember really being blown away that there was three different covers. There's like the regular CD cover, yeah. the deluxe CD cover, and then the vinyl exclusive cover. Um, yeah. And being like, that's really cool. Like, man, more bands should do that. Um, but yeah, just it's a challenging record. I think anyone who had preconceptions, like a preconceived notion of uh, of Under Oath before that record kind of like had to throw that to the wind. Um, but again, the more that I like, maybe that this was another like, I guess I would call it a gateway record because it was a, di- it's a different kind of heavy, right? Like it's really immense. Mm-hmm. Um, when I think about ooh, returning empty handed or, um, man, what's the song? 
after Riding on the Walls. Da, 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 da. There could be nothing. No, it's not that. It's a good runner song. I mean, um, everyone looks so good from here. And the, um, the bit where he's like, I swear I could fall right through the cracks in the floor. And like the delivery of that line is just, it hurts, man. Like actually. <laughs> like, um, but yeah, definitely. Uh, I guess, again, I was, I was at the time really used to the good guy, bad guy vocal thing. And for the most part, to find the great lines of really dark record. And Aaron's vocals are the only real kind of brightness to the record, you know, like they offer a sense of reprieve to Spencer's incredibly dark subject matter and lyrics and the music being so chaotic. Um, But these songs also became like anthems because I remember seeing them on that Rebirth tour where they played this in full and the response to this album over Chasing Safety was like insane just hits like a ton of bricks man yeah it really put them like if you thought um chasing safety was a big album this just put them into the stratosphere and like they they almost became mainstream they were super close well again i feel like had they and they've said this before like if they'd made chasing safety again it probably would have just burnt out, you know, like um, I think labels were so badly trying to reverse engineer more success like My Chem or Fall Out Boy or Panic at the Disco that they were like, we need a radio single. And they were like, we're not mm-hmm. going to give you a single song on this record that's a radio single. Like, mm-hmm. we're just not going to do that. Um, and like, man, having the gumption to be a successful band and be like, fuck you, we're going to make, like, we're going to turn the heavy up. We're going to make it darker. We're going to make it so more, way more immense. Um, that's so brave. And and it's nice that they continue to do that, you know, for Lost in the Sound and then Disambiguation. Uh, and even when they came back, like, Erase Me's got some cool songs on it, but that new record, uh, Voyeurist, is, like, really awesome. It's a really, like, return to them feeling dangerous. And I, I listened to a podcast with Spencer and that's exactly what they did. They kind of went away from, uh, with the Raise Me, they went away from their their formula, I guess you could say. And then he's yeah. like, we wanted to, wanted to go back to their roots and really make music like they used to and not be pigeonholed as this carbon copy kind of band that they had been labeled by some people in those middle, in, after... During Erase Me. I think it's interesting. it's interesting when you look at, say, Under Oath compared to Elixir on Fire as far as like comeback records. Mm-hmm. Under Oath were pretty quick to do the comeback record after, you know, doing the Rebirth tour and stuff like that. Whereas Alexis have been back for like six or seven years now and only just releasing a new album now. I think that sometimes you need to be able to reconnect or rekindle that um, that flame or that energy before you start working on new music again. Mm-hmm. Definitely. We're going to play Under Oath in regards to myself now and uh, we'll get into the last few tracks. Mm-hmm. 
All right, so just come out of Under Oath, and uh, the song that played after that was Anchor by Misery Signals. This is like a MySpace throwback for me. Um, yeah. Do you remember that era of like highly stylized MySpace layouts for bands? Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, I was already listening to, yeah, you know, listening to Kill Switch Engage and Poison the Well and Shy Halud and bands like that. Um, but I remember someone, like a friend of mine had Anchor by Misery Signals as their MySpace song. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I was like, this is really cool because the guitars are super melodic, but there's no singing. Like, wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> and and yeah, that just like opens the rabbit hole for me. If uh, if Dallas Green and Alexa Fire is like my biggest influence from a vocal perspective, um, Misery Center is my greatest like musical inspiration for the music that I write. Um, yep. In the same vein that. With thrice, you know, the lack of boundaries or the lack of like, well, you know, we can be a technical progressive metalcore band that can have super delicate post-rocky things and like mathy odd time sections. Um, and yeah, it, Misery Signals just hold this incredibly special place in my heart because of that. Like they... They were like, I, I just wish I could write music like them. I just desperately want to be able to write a record like Mirrors or Controller or um, or even like Ultraviolet's an amazing record, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, just they're another one of those bands where um, I feel as though, yeah, when you get it, you really get it. Um, they're they're unashamedly very much like a musician's band um they're where where we look at bands like kill switch and stuff as they're more palatable kind of metal bands more accessible misery signals is one of those bands where like i feel like to really get the genius of that band you kind of have to be a musician of some description um not to say you can't if you're not a musician but there's just so much to unfold from a musical perspective. Like the drums are amazing and the way that they write music is just so clever. Um, And they're another one of those bands like Poison the Well where that era of, of music where people are just like, yeah, this is like, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like a badge of honor. If you, if you like Poison the Well, if you like Misery Signals, like it's like, I can get down with you as a person. Yeah. Yeah, I can definitely see how being a non-musician myself, um, how Misery Signals could be like misunderstood. And I see them very much like converge in that way as well. So if you don't don't understand what's going on or it can seem very much super chaotic initially. And then you just find lots to absorb. Yeah, lots to absorb. Yeah. Yeah, and I have been listening to them a lot in the last couple of years, and I don't think they have a bad record. I think they're pretty yeah, great agree with across that. the board. I um, I think in lieu of having big choruses, they have big moments. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I think about songs like "The Failsafe" or um, 
Anchor has a lot of really great moments. I feel like Controller as an album has so many moments without them necessarily being choruses. So, um, yeah, yeah, they're just a just a really great band that I feel like again once you get it, once you get through that like veil of uncertainty, you're like, oh man, I'm here, and I'm like really into it. Yeah, and those moments are so cool as well. It's just like, oh wow, yeah, yep, okay, all right, I've got it. Let's um, yeah, let's 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 move on to the next record and the next record, and you just kind of suck oh, in man. and addicted. Like, you know, Phil, like what you were saying earlier about um, getting into a band or like getting into like Thrice as an example. I would, I'd give anything to be able to like hear my favorite records for the first time again. Like I would love to be 32 hearing Mirrors or Controller by Misery Signals for the first time and just like have, and like just to feel what it would feel like to have my mind blown by those records again. Um it would just be so, yeah, it's so cool. I, I love, it's one of the things I love about teaching music is, um, is getting to like impart these records that, that really like blew my mind to students that I have. And so it, does, it doesn't always happen in that case. Like sometimes I will give them something and be like, this sucks. Or like, <laughs> I'm trying not to get offended. Um, but, but sometimes you do get those, um, I gave a student of mine commit this to memory, you know, and, and they were like, man, this record's so much fun. And I was like, yeah, it is really fun. It's also really depressing, but it's really fun. Yeah. Really fun. The sound is fun. <laughs> the yeah, yeah. Are not. <laughs> Just don't read dim lyrics guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I was just going to say, sorry, I'm cutting out my internet shocking here, but, um, no, you're right. With Misery Signals, I, I again, only started Sorry, listening bro. to them last year. And I started at the start. And um, I remember listening to them back in the day, um, you know, finding heaps of music. And it just didn't stick with me. But now it's I, I listen to them all the time. And, I, yeah, as when you say, as a gateway, it's a hard hard point to, um, to pick. Um, but they're so good. I mean, again, records also come around. So, uh, some records yeah. that I wasn't in the mood for at the time. Do you know what I mean? Like a record came out, and I didn't connect with it, not because it it wasn't good, or not because it's not my style of music that I like. I usually listen to, but maybe I was really down the rabbit hole with this lane at the time, or something like that. You know, but I guess that's the thing that's really cool about. Well, I said before about people hyping Sunbather to me and I wasn't in the mood for like Converge mix mm. meets Seros, like Blast Beatty melodies. I just wasn't in the mood for it. When I finally got round to that record, it was exactly the right time for me to listen to a record like that. And I was very helpful, like very stoked on that. Um, so yeah, sometimes that just happens where I, man, and also like starting with Malice would be, an interesting one. It's quite such a. I think that's just what, I, what I've been and, kind of gravitating and, to lately. But it's so good, and especially like time. meeting people um, like Dave and, and yourself, and you know a few other people we talk to. I think I've been, I've been, ex- yeah, like I've been going through a journey. We and, love um, the chaos, Dave. <laughs> it's I'm, I'm here for it, um, and I'm glad that I'm actually listening to them now rather than not at all. So, yeah. Oh man, I mean, 
I remember hearing Dillinger Escape Plan for the first time, um, <laughs> and just just being like, "This what what is this like like this is this is like um, someone smashing a typewriter against a wall, you know? Like I don't know what this is." Um, but I had like one of my dearest friends was like really into Dillinger, and and so I was like, "I'm a I'm a keep going like I'm a." So yeah, maybe it's it's the same high school politics thing. Where it's like, what is my what are my friends listening to, or what's my brother yeah. listening to, or like, mm. and you just like by proxy assimilate people's music around you. So it's kind of again when you've got someone who wears listening to Misery Seven was like a badge of honor, like me and Dave. It's easy for people to be like, <laughs> "Well, my it. friends listen to this, so I'm gonna listen to it too." No, I, I love chaos. It's just and different kinds you don't of like chaos. chaos um, yeah, it's just different. Chaos. I think yeah, a lot of these older bands <laughs> that I just yeah. didn't quite get to at the time. Um, yeah, it's just opening up my my eyes to a lot more now. Yeah, yeah. maybe also we also only have the capacity to absorb so much. There are so many bands from that era that like friends who friends who love the bleed right the bleed is a prime example i i really enjoy past the flask that record's really great but i didn't listen to any other the bleed records um and then my friend alex sievers who i was talking about before who used to run qe stereo he like schooled me recently (laughs) he was like wait you didn't listen to like that record and that record and i went back to them at like 32 (laughs) i was like the bleed have more good records. That's awesome. I uh, <laughs> so <on> <laughs> yes, but it's like at the time I just yeah. was listening to so many things that like I couldn't listen to fucking everything, man. I mean, I I didn't even really start to enjoy those Mike M records until five six years ago. You know, at the time I had my my musical taste had moved on to other things, so I didn't yeah. didn't listen to. I just like didn't catch it at the right time. Um, whereas I went like, back, go ahead. I, I like going back to deaf heaven. I only started liking them last week. So <laughs> yeah. like, I just, it just, it didn't feel right at the time whenever I went to go listen to them. Yeah. It's a right time, right place thing. In the same way that these records that hit you in your formative years, like hit you at the right time. I think the only thing that's different is that back then we were beholden to CDs or like, burnt cds that friends would make us so we were like it was a bit more captive whereas i think nowadays because of streaming you can like kind of dive into a band and then very quickly dive out of a band speaking of though so going to the next track which i'm interested to hear your thoughts on because this is the newer song that you've got in the playlist i'm keen to hear it because yeah i I didn't even know the song was a thing I didn't even know this was a band after 20, 2005. <laughs> so that was kind of my point. Um, I have loaded this playlist with a lot of cuts from my formative years. And uh, and Here's Legend are one of like my favorite bands, but they're one of those bands that people only really like celebrate the That's very me. beginning of their career they're like oh, i love i'm hollywood awesome dude yeah great i'm hollywood's great um suck out the poison's great it hates you is probably my favorite here's legend record heavy fruits great fuse great the reason that i chose this song from their most recent record is kind of to shine a light on the fact that like this band is still killing 
Like this band rules. If anything, this band has gotten better. Um, and because yeah, and, and it kind of speaks to that thing as well. Where at the time we're listening to, if you say you were listening to Solid State Records or Tooth and Nail Records, so and here's Legend were on Solid State for their first two records. So Solid State had Under Oath, Emery, Here's Legend, Dead Poetic. Uh, as cities burn you know a lot of great bands um and it's one of those ones where like it's a it's really like really cherished era of that label and that style of music um i think a lot of people gave up on a lot of people gave up on here's legend for not releasing i am hollywood part two for their second record um, they went a bit darker and a little bit more like Southern Rocky. Um, and yeah, I guess the point that I'm making with this song is that this band's been around for a really long time and I don't think they've released a bad record. I feel like it's a really exciting time to be a Here's Legend fan because they're doing like they're releasing such great music and they're about to release a new record um, that apparently is almost done. So... If anything, it's just <laughs> me wanting to be like, this band still rips and everyone should well, listen to it. When this song that. was on there and I listened to it and I saw He's Legend and I'm thinking, okay, I must have missed something. I, I wouldn't have guessed that it was from three years ago. Uh, and it's a good song. <laughs> That's it. It's a great record, man. Like, mm. again, it would have been really easy for me to throw like a China White on there from I'm Hollywood or something like that. But... Um, I listened to, I listened to more recent Here's Legend than I do like early Here's Legends, which is weird because I listen to Here's Legend all the time. So I listen to a lot of their music, but, um, just like they've like, they just hit their stride, found their yeah. thing and they just keep doing it in the, such uh, a wonderful way. I'm Hollywood. Very good. Yeah, I got um, both the yellow and the green one. <laughs> now I just need Solid State to hurry the fuck up and do Suck Out the Poison, please. I, do you know how frustrating it is? That band has six records and I have five of the six records because the one I don't have hasn't well, been printed. I am like eat. spewing right now. I'm like, uh, keep my fingers crossed that they're going to do it That'll for Furnace Fest this year. I've never listened to Here's Legend. I don't know what happened. Or how it happened. <laughs> Thank All right, you very Dave. much. <laughs> I'm going to make you a playlist, my man. I did enjoy it though. So, like, yeah, I got it was you a great covered. song. I just, um, yeah, I, the only time I saw them was when people were talking about represses and, and all that kind of stuff. So it was, uh, yeah, good to, to get into something new. Yeah, I'll make you a playlist. There's a lot to dive into. Um, again, there's six records. There's a lot to kind of, much like in Thrice, if you like this type of Here's Legends, you'll like this Perfect. and this and Thank this. You. So, um, yeah, leave that with me. So, we've got one of. song to go. And um, it is Happy Body Slow Brain, Never Loved. Yeah. Really? Oh. Yeah, cool. My favorite song of all time. Yeah, I figured if we were going to start this podcast with my favorite band of all time, we might as well finish this one with my favorite song of all time. Um, 
So Happy Body Slow Brain is the brainchild of Matt Farzi and Isaac Bolivar. Matt Farzi was in Facing New York and in Taking Back Sunday. Um, and Isaac uh, played live guitar for Taking Back Sunday for a while as well. Um, and okay. then when they left Taking Back Sunday, they started this band. Um, very, very fortunate to be able to call Isaac a good friend of mine. Um, and it's honestly, this is one of those earworm songs that I remember hearing the chorus for the first time. And like, I listened to this song on repeat. Like I, I just constantly had it on repeat just to get to the chorus. Cause the chorus is so good. Um, and just like incredibly intelligently written, like the drum grooves, the intricacies of the drum grooves, really cool. The, what the synths are doing with the guitars and the vocal melodies, like it's just a really clever song and yeah, just quite literally my favorite song of all time. And in tune with what I was saying about um, Here's Legends it's just a band that not enough people know about um, so that's also my reason. I'm going to like, and that was, the band. track was awesome and yeah. um, and then like a big thing for me I've noticed lately is like stories behind bands and like mm. the members in them and, and all that kind of stuff so I love Taking Back Sunday so I'm, I'm definitely going to um yeah, get into get into them and and check it out. Matt, yeah, so Matt stepped into the band after Louder Now. So Fred Mascherino left and then they got Matt to join the band and he wrote um, the New Again record, which is my favorite Taking Back Sunday record. And he's just got a really clever, like, songwriting style. Um, and... I think, yeah, working in Taking Back Sunday as well, like he took that approach of the counterpoint vocal thing like to Happy Body as well. So there's something really cool about like Matt and Isaac riffing off each other vocally. Um, but man, just, yeah, it's the same way that we absorb bands, yep. you know, from, oh, this band's thanking this band and the liner notes. So, you know. Same thing. It was like, oh, well, this guy was in this band or this guy was in this band. Like I listened to the Mars Volta because it was Omar and Cedric from At The Drive-In, you know. So I think that's just one of those things that this band flew under the radar for a lot of people. Uh, But those who know, like, love it. I I have introduced some of my, like, dearest friends to this record. And, and, you know, it's, it's one of those ones that, like, changed it's a beautiful song for me yeah and i mean it's a perfect way to wrap up a playlist i think like i kept double double taking like what's this song again (laughs) yeah uh, i had no idea i'm like no idea he hasn't told me about this band and (laughs) i've never heard about it before and the name's kind of different i'm like i have no idea what it's going to be and i was pleasantly surprised yeah It just felt like a kind of nice way to wrap it up. I originally was going to wrap it up with a Thieves song, but then I thought that that was like a little bit too sociopathic. Um, like, now listen to my band. Um, but no, it, it just... This is one of those songs that's like good for all seasons. It doesn't matter what kind of mood that I am in. I will always listen to this song and I will that's always have the exact same I don't know if I could pick a favorite song, song the whole time. 
Yeah, you're brave It'd to put it out hard. there. Yo, it's <laughs> tricky. Oh no, people get pissed because I, I again in tune with the the high fidelity thing. I love top fives. I love them. I, I live for that shit. So uh, there's a couple friends of mine that I will constantly do top fives with, and they get pissed off because like they be like top five this, and I like churn out <laughs> you know responses, and they're like, yeah. "How do you do that? How do you make such executive decisions?" And I mean, to be fair, my top five records of all easy. time have been the same for like 15 <laughs> years. So yeah, it makes it really easy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and music stops being good in 2008. Question though, so. like, I mean, on that, if you did have to pick a caution song to put in, what would you have put in? Yeah. Somewhere Bright. Somewhere Bright's my favorite Thieves song to date. There's a... Uh, I say to date because there's songs on the new record that smoke Somewhere Bright. Um, now, Somewhere Bright is um, a special one. We wrote it, just, like it, it was written before we even started touring Songs for the Great Divide. It was like written and we played it on that tour. And I remember writing the chorus and being really like G'd up on the idea of like, it needs to be big. It needs to be like massive. And so we put a choir, like there's a choir on that song. Um, so you get to the last chorus and there's like this 12 piece choir. <laughs> and I really wanted to like bring my gospel dreams to life. Um, so yeah, I mean, thieves, because, because Thieves is such a dynamic band as well. Um, it kind of is one of those songs that, showcases kind of everything that we can do it's kind of got the fast paced riffy stuff the big soulful chorus and then the super delicate stuff as well like it's that or it's a song called daggers for teeth um so yeah but yeah cool somewhere bright's like the safe bit i think well that brings us to the end of the uh yeah (laughs) it's good it's gonna bring us to the end of the uh the mixtape discussion. Thanks for coming on, Nick. It's been lovely talking music. It's been a good chat. Thanks for having me, boys. Yeah, damn. <laughs> me talking about music for a couple of hours. Tonight, Who would have thought? Who would have thought? Ah, I mean, I'm always <laughs> down for a chat. I mean, there's a reason that I teach, right? I've reverse engineered <laughs> being able to talk about music for well, it was like hours. When, when I uh, first week. met you, what, Nick, it was, I picked up some records I bought off you online and we ended up talking for like, I reckon a good 20 minutes about music and it was, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, we just messed Dave and I have before. done the same thing. Dave and I talk about the time, you know, like yeah, it's, um, it's really cool because it's, it's helping me understand music as well a lot more than mm. on the surface level. So thank you for that it's uh it's really insightful dude for sure i mean it's uh again i talk about it being like the universal language and it's one of those ones where um yeah it's just a nice common denominator when Mm, you find someone's like man you love that record i love that record like cool cool hard out thanks nick we'll uh Mad. Thanks, boys. I'm going to get back to, I'm going to um, drink some more water and do some more vocals. But uh, thanks heaps for having awesome. me. Thanks, Nick. And uh, I look forward it. to spruiking this one.
Thanks, guys. Well, well, See you. That's the thanks end of for... um, our first mixtape. How that was fun. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everyone. I guess we'll leave you with um, yeah, Nick's last song on the playlist, Never Loved by Happy Body Slow Brain. Uh, thank you for listening. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next time. See ya. Say